0: Welcome to Equosity, the podcast about all things equine with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Curland. I'm the author of Clicker Training for Your Horse and many other books and DVDs on Clicker Training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. When Dominique and I get together, it's always a non-stop conversation. We love talking about Horses, and we are fascinated by training. So our conversations together tend to be on the long side, and that's no exception here. We're jumping back into part three of one of our non-stop chats together. So in our last podcast, we, Dominique was saying that the more she knows, the more time she spends in the horse world, the more she sees the value of basic work. The basics done well. That's what we were talking about. Because that's what training really is. And when you have that, the basics start looking like very fancy performance. And you develop a real back and forth conversation with your horse. That's when the relationship becomes truly joyful. Your horse not only has a voice, but it is a voice that is being listened to. That's the statement that we made that ended the podcast. So we're going to continue the conversation here and we're going to explore what it means for the horse to be given a voice that counts. So we'll jump back into that conversation and see where things take us. The basics well done are, uh, really that's, that's, that's what training is basics well done, and when you've got that, then all of a sudden it looks like very fancy performance. One of the many pieces of this is that when you go back through the behaviors and you develop the nuance of them and you revisit and revisit some of these what seem like very simple behaviors, you really do begin to recognize the communication that is always there between you and your horse. And it's not, it's not that they're flattening their ears, necessarily to say no. I mean, that's coming when they've reached a point where they have to shout at us. Yeah,
1: that's, that's
0: right. Right. But it's, it's, it's that lovely nuance of just a slight change in the rhythm.
1: Yeah, less uh, less
0: um, fluency, less late, more latency. Yeah, just some little change, some quick dropping of the head, where they're using that behavior to say, mm, "Slow down for a moment." And all of these become things that we learn how to read, and that we can then reinforce and make clearer, so that. There is a real dialogue in the training. It's no longer just this is my goal. This is what I want you to do. This is the behavior that I wish you to perform. And I will reinforce you for it. Instead, it's a real back and forth conversation. And that's when it becomes truly joyful. But that, that doesn't happen right away. I think it, it happens just as it does between people. It happens over time as you begin to develop a comfort level with one another that allows for that back-and-forth dialogue to appear, where the horse truly feels that he has a voice and that that voice is being listened yeah. to.
1: Yeah, and traditionally, I mean,
0: the horse did not
1: have a voice. No. You know, it's, uh, it's the whole education was about making sure that it was shutting
0: down the voice
1: well yeah it was a or that the horse could not refuse your command yeah. that you would become quite refined at not less letting the horse say no to you whereas we're discussing now that how can we become more attuned to when the horse is saying no and how can we be influenced by the no of our
0: animals, right? which is completely different mindset. Right, completely different mindset. Are we, we are deliberately building in the possibility for our horse to say no to us and using things such as the haltering, the bridling, the coming to a mounting block. We're using those things as practice for noticing the communication that our horse is giving us.
1: And we are clearly teaching our animals that when they say no, we will back up. Yeah. Which is not something
0: you do normally in the horse world. And of course, this is one of the reasons that I wanted to teach Panda, that I wanted to train Panda, the meaning I trained to be a guide, because a big part of guide work is saying no. So it's it's and it even has a name. It's called intelligent disobedience. If Panda is leading Anne and they come up to a curb and Panda stops as she should and Anne listens to the traffic and then tells Panda to go forward. And just as they are about to step into the road, a moving vehicle, a bicycle, a car, whatever it is, begins to come towards them, instead of going forward, as she's been instructed, Panda is to stop, to block Anne, or to back up, and take Anne with her out of the path of that moving vehicle, out of the path of danger. And so that is something that is deliberately taught.
1: Yeah, that's that's one sort of a no, but it's kind of part of her job,
0: whereas... Well, it's part, but the point is that it is, place where we can look and say very deliberately, ah, yes, this is something that we can teach, that we can deliberately teach that it is okay for an animal to override one cue with a different response. And and so it gives us an entry point for thinking about our horses, our dogs, whatever animals we're working with, it's an entry point for thinking, well, maybe it's not just guide horses or guide dogs that can say no. What about our trail horses being able to say no? I don't think it's safe to go forward at this point. What about our performance horses, our jumpers? I don't think it's safe to take this fence today. I know that the footing is really slippery, and I think it's a, it's a bad idea. We're Where are other places where we could begin to deliberately teach horses that it's okay, it's safe for them to say, I know what you're asking me to do, I understand what you're asking me to do, but I'm going to give you this behavior instead. And this behavior, this instead behavior is not coming up to the mounting block but staying right here in the middle of the arena when you call me
1: you know there's one concept that susan brings up which is behavioral health we talk about nutrition and you know, people study all kinds of physical things or the, uh, how to manage their horse, you know, the, the, the environment in which the horses are so that the horses are healthy, that the air is good and the water and etc. But behavioral health is also an important part of a good life. Yes. And in order for a horse to be healthy... From a behavioral standpoint, he needs to know that his behavior can have an effect on the environment around him and that he can control what's important to him. If you're constantly taking away control from an animal, he will not be healthy from a behavioral standpoint of view. And a lot of horses, they learn that they are helpless. They learn that their behavior is not important and cannot influence what's happening to them. And, you know, a rich life for a horse is a life where he's got a lot of opportunity to behave and to influence what's happening around him um, and where the purpose of his behavior is respected. And he can and he knows how to get things he want, and stay away from things he doesn't want.
0: You know, I can hear somebody who's who's listening, I can just sort of hear some of the comments of somebody who's listening to this, who uh, may be coming from a very different training background and training world, saying, oh, what chaos, chaos. what nonsense. <laughs> You're gonna have horses walking all over you. You're going to have horses mugging you and pushing into you and you're never going to be able to ride because the horse is never going to come up to the mounting block and isn't it interesting that it's exactly the opposite
1: that happens so interesting yeah and and we see it even in um, when when we're doing all these husbandry or care things that are not so pleasant where we give control to the animal they participate that's right it's like giving back the control half of the battle is feeling out of control i have a girlfriend very close friend who just had a new puppy a little cream golden retriever her name is charlie she's the sweetest cutest thing and um, you know we've been talking a lot about how to raise this little puppy and she um, it just happened that she although she comes from a really good breeder she had some um, some worms, and so my girlfriend who's been you know making an effort of giving this little dog a very positive uh, education and it's we're, we're at the very very beginning um, and is enjoying that. She called me one day and she said, "Well, now I have to give her this medication in the mouth, and I have no choice. I had to put her on her back and, you know, shoot it in her mouth." And I said, "Well, no, Sylvie, you do have a choice." And so we t- we started talking about it. And the next day she calls me and she said, "Oh, I'm so," and she felt she felt terrible about it. You know, she said to me. I, I don't want her not to love me anymore. Um, and so the next day she called me and she was super happy because she didn't put the puppy on the, on her back. She just sat on the floor and played with the puppy and the syringe. And the puppy took the, the medication willingly and she was amazed. And she was really happy, of course. And, and I said, you know, and we, because I asked her the day before, I said, Is, does it taste bad? this medication well she said I don't think so it doesn't smell bad I said and she said I didn't taste it I know some of us do (laughs) but she wasn't tasting the medication before she gave it to her animal but it didn't smell bad and she wasn't doing anything afterwards that made my friend think that maybe it was really really like look kind of medication and my assumption is that why she was struggling was just because she was being contained. Yes. Yeah. And when you take the confinement out of the picture,
0: changes everything for the animal. That's right. You should um, suggest to her that she listens to the webinar we did with Ken Ramirez because that was all on the husbandry and that 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 the next step be, in, to move to is that whole do it differently. And we talked about that in the podcast as well, just to expand on that. But that's... Absolutely right that the you know you know yourself that when somebody tries to hold on to you or force something on you, that it just it makes you resist, it puts your back up, so so to speak. And the more that we when we're talking about teaching horses that they can say no or teaching horses that they have choice, what sits at the base of that is teaching a broad repertoire it's absolutely true because if you don't
1: have the repertoire and you are just allowing your horse to say no then you can get chaos yes this is this is the difference this is where allowing an animal to say no and getting still to your goal is the repertoire of skills right
0: and it weaves back to the very beginning of what we were talking about is that repertoire is everything so if if I build a repertoire of standing on a mat, of going into grown-ups, of lowering your head, of backing up, and I put a lot of reinforcement into that. Those base behaviors, those core foundation behaviors, those behaviors that create space management, that create help to create emotional control, those are the behaviors that my animal is going to choose. Those are the behaviors that they're going to default to. And you know, if if, if I have a, a horse who's feeling anxious and not sure what to do and and it backs up and drops its head, well, that's not chaos. That's safety. Yeah. So it's it's building a repertoire and putting a deep history of reinforcement into the behaviors that work for us, work for both of us that allow us both to, to be together in, in an environment in a safe way. And that as we build those behaviors, that the nuance of communication begins to emerge. If we, and if we're observant, we'll see it. One of the tools that can really help with that is of course video, because sometimes you miss the communication at first But when you go back through and watch a video, you'll see all those little places where, oh, oh, look at that. That's, you know, I missed that. I missed seeing that little break in the rhythm where my horse was slowing me down. Yeah. (laughs) All of this creates a rich relationship that is not chaotic at all. That is not where the horse is controlling everything and you're just being sort of proverbially walked all over but instead is a relationship that both you and the horse can really enjoy and that's that's what we're after.
1: Yeah and I think this is where too because we're saying build a repertoire of skills but these need to be clean skills. Yes. This is where again the clean loops are so important because what are you building exactly? You want good foundation. You want good, calm, basic behaviors. That's what you want to build on.
0: But you may not always begin with that. So in the previous, last week, you were describing Canel who was barking at the squirrel, and you're clicking and reinforcing her for very simple, just a simple behavior. But she's getting a goodie as she's barking. But it didn't increase the barking.
1: No, it didn't. But it very quickly, if if I were wa- if I was feeding her while she's barking for two minutes, I would start asking myself what's wrong. Right. But what happens is she will bark no more than, and this this is we're still at the beginning of this. She will bark no more than twice, because I put my hand in the middle of her trajectory. So she's kind of, at the beginning, she she sees me approaching. She won't come. She's, she's very busy with the squirrel. But I'll put my hand in the middle of where she's going to walk. So she'll stop to bark. She'll eat. She'll go back. She'll, she, she'll come back because she's kind of pacing around the, the logs. And no more than two times will she bark. And then she starts to target it, and she doesn't bark anymore at all. So that's another way too if when you when you're shaping something, you have to see progress. If you're not seeing progress, it's because it's too hard. You have to go back to something more basic, something easier where the rate of
0: reinforcement will go up right and you also have to trust the process so i'm I'm thinking about a horse that i I had the very great pleasure of working with just a week or so ago, and Oh, what fun it was. Very, very, very complex horse who's had a history of being, you know, what does emotional mean, really? Because we're all, you know, you're always, we're all emotional. Even being calm is an emotion. But a horse who is, who has struggled a bit with his, the training, but who was also trained to a very high level. And we were using the runway lesson, going to a mat, to unwind some of the anxiety that this horse presents. And he goes into either very shut down, I'm not moving, or way too much overreaction to requests. So if you ask him to take a, a step forward, instead of getting a step forward, you get either 20 steps forward or you get he'll lift his leg up in the air, not like a Spanish walk gesture, but with this very exaggerated boxing um, sort of boxing no. but pawing but not not pawing, hitting the ground, but just uh, sort of flinging his foot in the air repeatedly. And so I would ask him to take a step forward and he would initiate forward movement, but the leg would stay up in the air in this frantic, pawing like action. But he had responded correctly to what I had asked for, which was a go forward. And so I clicked and fed him as his leg is flinging in the air. And I could just hear if people were watching, I could just hear people going, but 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 this is, you know, this this can't be right. Aren't you reinforcing him for pawing for this pawing action? And yeah, I know exactly what you Yeah, mean. <laughs> And it's like, well, We'll find out, you know. The, the data will tell, but let's just see what, what occurs. And for the next short while, I would ask him to go forward and when he unstuck enough to go forward, I would get this flailing of the foot and, and it was really quite fascinating as I clicked and fed as his leg was flinging around in the air, but didn't take very long before he was coming forward with a normal step and another normal step, and he could walk to the mat. And instead of putting a foot on the mat and then pawing, he was able to put a foot on the mat and keep it on the mat. And the the change in him from session to session was startling, absolutely startling. But it began when I was and I'm giving him food as his leg is flinging about in the air, how can this possibly work? And yet it does work now
1: if if you had done this for 50 sessions clicking him while he was like that, but that's not what happened because this, this
0: no this transformation was over a day within a session Well yes there was there was a major shift within the session. And then, yeah, because that's
1: important, you know, it's always, there's always so many nuances in this business. Um, But yeah, you saw a progression, but in the beginning, you have to start somewhere, you have to find something to click.
0: That's right. And someone, I'm sure I could also hear people saying, you know, well, shouldn't you try this? Or shouldn't you try that? Or would, and it's like, well, yeah, perhaps those would be good things to try. But this is, this is what I've picked. And, and. Sometimes you just have to let things play out. And it was really quite, it was so much fun. It was so much fun to watch this horse change. It feels risky
1: when we do that. It feels risky because, yeah, we we know that emotions are getting embedded in our clicks. And so it feels a little
0: bit risky. See, I don't see it that way. It doesn't no. feel risky at all because I don't think... I don't think emotions are embedded in the click in quite the way that that we're often that some of the some of the current conversation is is leading us to believe. And I think this is one of those that we need to chew on for a little bit and perhaps Oh yeah, we need to discuss
1: this with Jesus in November. Yes. Yes. I'm making
0: a note of yes, this. Yes, do one. please because this yeah. is one of those I um like when in Susan's uh, Friedman's Webinar where you you said to Susan, here are some of the things that that Alex and I have been discussing on on the side, and, and I've been think, sitting on some stuff, for some months. stuff, right? And it was so, it really was so refreshing and wonderful to say, all right, we have our we have our behavior analysts here with us. Now we're going to ask these questions, and what does what is the current research telling us? So so we're going to we'll, we'll save some of this for Jesus. I'm sure there's
1: some nuances that, you know, Jesus will highlight that will make us, that will
0: make it clearer for us. But it's a very important piece. It is. Because there are times, there absolutely are times where you, yes, you are embedding the emotional behavior, the emotional reaction into your training. And And this can work for you and it can work against you. So I'm not saying that. But no, because you are.
1: always say to us, train where you can, where you cannot, and I know that right. for me, um, it's always been kind of my safety net to think when I'm getting a kind of emotion in my horse, because Canel is small, right? But if I if I get an emotion uh, in my horses that I'm not comfortable with, I will definitely go to something easier. Yes. Change environment, go right. somewhere where I feel I'm not getting out of control.
0: And I definitely want to reinforce a lot of calm behavior, you know, when, because, yes. you know, I sit on the animals that I train and I don't enjoy sitting on something that feels like a powder keg that's about to explode. That's not my idea of fun riding. So I want horses that, even when they're feeling energized, they feel attentive, relaxed. You know, able to f- focus in on the conversation we're having and not like they're, they're yeah, needing yeah. to be in the next county.
1: If, it, if in doubt, I would always lean towards finding an environment where calmness right.
0: Um, and, is. Right. But for this horse, it wasn't about the environment. This was uh, an unraveling of lifetime patterns. And well, there must have been something in the environment that triggered
1: whatever he had learned in the past Yeah, but that's in the past
0: it wasn't in the current environment
1: yeah but what we have when we have an animal in front of us is all this past history
0: it's right there in front of our right. eyes that's what that's we right. have to deal with that's right point of this is is that in this case and in canals case that you are clicking when the animal is in arousal is in arousal it's in is 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 exhibiting behavior that i consider an undesirable right it's loud and, and with this horse the pawing of the leg uh, is undesirable and i and i'm feeding as that leg is flailing in the air and yet within minutes the foot is down and he's solidly standing yeah. and for me within seconds the bark is is off right so it's it's really fascinating and it's it's one of those conversations to be continued and so that's exactly what we'll do because yeah i think this is a good point to to end and well who knows what feedback we'll get from people listening or stories we'll get or but but buts we'll get and and then that can be the 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 subject of Future podcasts. That's right. That's right. So for now, we'll we'll leave it at that, and we will be looking forward to Jesus's webinar in November, where he can jump in and add uh, to this conversation from his perspective. Wonderful. So until then, and until next week, we'll just say goodbye. Bye. As you have just heard, Dominique and I are very much looking forward to our upcoming webinar with Dr. Jesus Rosales Ruiz. It will be on November 11th, 2018 at 1.30 Eastern time. I hope you can join us. This current round of podcasts has raised so many questions in addition to this one about whether or not emotions get woven into the clique. We've been collecting these questions up for Jesus. We want his interpretation of the processes we've been describing. I always find that hearing how he would explain things from the perspective of behavioral analysis always helps me to train better. And as you just heard, we very much want to talk to him about emotions. When we are clicker training, what do we need to be aware of so we end up with a good outcome for both ourselves and the animals we're working with? Is the emotional behavior that is occurring attached to the click? Is it attached to the context? Or does it fade away or change as alternative responses are reinforced more heavily? These conversations form a very synergistic relationship. As we describe what we are doing and the responses, welcome or not, that we are getting from our animals, Jesus often spots questions that need to be analyzed in more detail. That's when he brings out the portal games, or he encourages one of his graduate students to run the kind of single-subject design studies that Michaela Hempen described for us in a recent podcast, so he can gain more insight into these questions. That leads to more great conversations, and on it goes. And what it really leads to is much better training. The webinars have become part of this process. We have launching points for our discussions, but the format allows us to explore many different threads and to really tease them apart and see if we can parse things out from a very different perspective than we normally bring to the subject. I do hope you'll join us. Again, the webinar is November 11th, 2018 at 1.30 Eastern Time. To register, go to equosity.com. And if you missed any of our previous webinars, including the first two that we did with Jesus, you can get them as well through our online store. We'll have more information about the webinar in next week's podcast. So until then, Have fun with your training!